We've all heard the statistics cited about 80% of businesses failing within the first five years. And those that make it five years, 80% will fail in the next five years. So how do we keep our businesses from being one of those statistics? What are the most common causes and how do we avoid those? Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. There are seven primary reasons a business will fail. I call them the seven deadly defects. Today, in part four of our seven-part series, we're going to talk about not effectively assessing and addressing risk. So I just got back from Las Vegas, uh, probably the, <laughs> the biggest city in the world, maybe, or li- if not the country for sure, uh, where, where risk is a good a good topic. Um, and I was playing a slot machine. You know, first of all, you know, slot machines in Vegas is not not necessarily my my style. But uh, I was there, and hey, what the heck? Let's go have some fun, right? So um, I'm playing a slot machine, and you know. A slot machine is kind of the opposite of how business works. When you're playing a slot machine, you're risking a little uh, to hopefully earn a lot. Uh, that's the idea. You know, you're risking whether it's 40 cents or a dollar or five dollars per spin, and you're hoping to win uh, 10,000 or a thousand or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, whatever it is that you're hoping you win. I was playing one machine where the grand prize was 2.2 million. That would have been pretty awesome. Um, so you're risking a little and you're hoping to, to win a lot. Um, a business is kind of the, the opposite. Uh, every day we're risking a lot in hopes of earning a little. Uh, in any given day, if you have a fleet of 10 or 15 or 20 vehicles out there um, going to the customer's home or, or whatever, um, there's a lot of liability there. Uh, there's, a, there's a catastrophic amount of liability out there. And we're hoping to earn, you know, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars per day. Um, that's not very much relative to the risk. So it's actually it's like completely opposite of how a slot machine works. Um, I suspect for most of us, if you ask us, you know, we we kind of get this right, but in the moment, as we start talking about taking on a new uh, endeavor, we we want to bring on a new product line, or we want to. We want to try something in addition, or we want to go out a new territory, whatever. Um, most of us probably default to pursuing revenue first and addressing risk along the way, rather than eliminating risk to the degree we can, and then pursuing revenue. Now, that's not entirely bad. I mean, if all we did is dwell on the risk, who in their right mind would want to be a business owner, right? It's a risky thing. If you really take a moment and let yourself get immersed in all the kinds of risks that are going on between um, customers' property that can be damaged, uh, employees having them on board, and the number of businesses that are sued by employees every year is is crazy. Um, there's a lot of risk. If we let ourselves dwell on it too much, then we might just decide it's not worth it, right? So I'm not suggesting that either. 
Um, but if you look at somebody like Warren Buffett or other stock market tycoons who've amassed a lot of wealth, um, they've done so by being very specific and deliberate with the risk that they will take in a particular transaction transaction or, or acquisition or whatever. Um, they have a predetermined amount of risk they will take before they act. Um, I don't think it's coincidental that that's Warren Buffett's uh, strategy. And he's, you know, the, are always in the number two or three or one spot as far as the wealthiest people in the world. Um, I don't think that's coincidence. So, you know, when we're bringing on something new, a new idea, a new product, a new service, a new territory, we're going to open another location, whatever it is. I say dream, dream big. Imagine that revenue. Imagine what that money could do for your company, for your team, and even for your own life. Absolutely we have to dream. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Um, and as soon as we're done dreaming, we need to take some time to identify and eliminate the risk to the degree we can. Um, we must make identifying and eliminating risk part of our decision-making process. I wouldn't make it the first step. Again, let's do that. Let's take that time to dream and imagine what it could be like if, if things really went well. I think that's a critical part of, of any entrepreneur's journey is to uh, embrace dreaming and uh, take on that uh, or embrace that feeling of how awesome thing it'll be when things work out. But we can't skip the part where we eliminate the risk once we've identified it. We have to uh, be deliberate and specific to the degree we can. And part of that is just making this part of our decision-making process. So, um, and more importantly, um, teaching our team to do this, especially our leadership team, to incorporate this critical step into their decision-making. So yeah, let's imagine how awesome things are going to be when they go well, and then let's stop and ask what could go wrong and how do we get in front of that? So let me give you a quick example. Um, there was a time a few years back where, where a very important manager in the company that I used to own uh, brought an idea to me. He had been approached by somebody, um, and what they wanted us to do was they wanted us to install um, these alarms in condos and apartment complexes and things like that. And these alarms would basically, if a water heater leaked or, or an appliance leaked or something like that, this alarm would, would, uh, send a signal somewhere and maybe even turn the water off or something like that. I, I don't know the details. Um, but you know, condo associations would be, would just love this kind of thing. This is perfect. If, if, um, if they had this kind of thing, they could require that everybody in the building had one. Um, we would have earned about a thousand dollars or so per installation. If I remember right, maybe $1,500 per installation. And the manager that brought to me was just giddy. This was going to be an awesome thing. There was a whole new, um, area we hadn't even, uh, looked at before the revenue could have been off the charts. And, um, but my question was before I said anything out loud, my question immediately was if, uh, there is a leak and this, this device fails and it doesn't send the signal it's supposed to, it doesn't do the alert. It doesn't turn the water off. It doesn't do whatever it's supposed to do. Who's on the hook for it? Us or the manufacturer? Now I had to be really careful about how I explained this because I didn't want to come across like a wet blanket. Like I was just, you know, poo pooing his idea. I mean, he was really excited about this. Uh, I didn't want to come across like it was just, I was negative or, or just a wet blanket. Uh, that that's not fun. Um, so I had to like, but, jump on board. Let's, let's dream about what this could be. Like how awesome would it be? And then explain that. Okay. So now we've, we've identified the upside. What do you think the next critical thing we need to do is? And of course the obvious answer is get out and identify and get out in front of whatever could go wrong. And so we began talking about what could go wrong. And, and I just asked if there's a failure and there's a flood, 
and it causes $10 million worth of damage, who's on the hook for that? Us or the manufacturer. Um, and it was a great exercise to get the key, one of our key leaders to start understanding the decision-making process of how we approach these things. Yes, there's fantastic upside sometimes, but before we act, before we jump on, we have to go through the process of identifying and mitigating the risk to the degree possible. Um, funny enough, when he went back and asked the manufacturer who who was on the hook for it, uh, we we stopped getting pursued about installing these things. So I suspect that the answer was one that we wouldn't have probably liked. Uh, and that's fine. You know, it, it was it would have been a ton of money we could have made, but one failure o- over the course of 20 years would have wiped out every penny we made on that thing for sure. So um, here's the kinds of questions I would suggest uh, asking before we act. Some of these are obvious. Almost all these are obvious. But I think it's more important than identif- or, or drilling down and dwelling on the specific questions to ask is just making it part of our process to take the time to identify these things before we act, before we jump in. Um, but some of the questions, again, pretty obvious. What are the risks involved? Uh, another way of saying that is just, you know, what could go wrong? Um, one of the things I think is most important to ask in these situations is, is it possible or likely that there are risks that I cannot foresee because of my inexperience in this area? In other words, is it possible that I don't know enough to know what could go wrong? And if so, who could I possibly call upon for some insight or guidance? Now, I know for a lot of us, um, depending on where you're at in your business journey, your business ownership journey, admitting that we don't know something is not fun. It can be hard. It can be difficult. Um, But I can tell you from personal experience that once you overcome that fear of asking people for help and acknowledging and admitting publicly that you don't know something, the journey of owning a business gets so much easier and so much more enjoyable when we don't have to continue this fallacy that we are in control of everything and we know everything and, and things couldn't possibly get out of whack for us. <laughs> it's so much more enjoyable when we can stop pretending that that's the way it is. Um, and just ask somebody for help. Say, Hey, um, here's what we're looking at. I don't know enough to know what to even look out for. What, what do you, you know, help, can you help me steering the right direction or something like that? Uh, another question to ask is again, as part of our decision-making process is the risk to reward equation in balance or is the risk reward in alignment with my risk tolerance? So in order to do that, of course you would first have to define what's your risk tolerance. What's quote unquote in balance for you when you look at risk versus reward. Um, I think that's an important thing for us to get a handle on. Now, can we put a number on it every single time? Absolutely not. Um, But I think it's important for us to take the time to ask what is our risk to reward? equation when what is in balance for us what makes sense and what is 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 over the line for us another question we could ask is what other kinds of endeavors have we attempted like this one uh in those cases obviously what went well what didn't go so well what didn't go well we can get out in front of what are the parallels what are the similarities uh and again one of the things i think that we should ask that is often overlooked is what training will be necessary for this to be successful how long will the learning curve be? Do we even have the time and resources in place to properly train this? Um, I think that training is a place where oftentimes we assume that people will know what to do. We assume that people will act in alignment with our beliefs on what is right and wrong and good and bad decisions. Um, 
we don't necessarily spend the time necessary. We don't necessarily spend the time to train people to act in alignment with our beliefs of what a good decision is and, and our values and things like that. Um, and we, we pull up on the training and we, we kind of, you know, half heartedly commit to training and then we're all in when things don't go well and, and finding, you know, who's, who's, who made a mistake. Um, training is probably the biggest key to avoiding risk and avoiding liability. Um, just not assuming that people know what to do. Um, they don't always know what to do. And they're certainly not going to tell you if they don't know what to do. In most cases, most people like it or not are not going to raise their hand and tell you when they don't know something they're going to, they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be, they don't want to look, look stupid or feel stupid in front of their boss or their peers. They just don't. So uh, we have to train it in a way where we can confirm that they know what we need them to know. And that's a big piece of, of risk is, is training and just acknowledging human nature. People are not going to tell us they don't know something. They're going to pretend like they do and just hope you don't catch them. That's just how it, that's just how it works. Um, so the first thing is going back to our scenario earlier, dream big, imagine that revenue, imagine what the money coming in could do for your company, your team and your life. Absolutely. And then immediately after that, before we act, take the time to identify and eliminate the risk to the degree we can. We can't uh, eliminate what we can't see. So it's really important. We just kind of start asking these questions. What could go wrong? Again, not to be a wet blanket. We're not trying to, to um, take somebody's good idea and make them feel bad about bringing it to the table. Absolutely not. That's why it's important. We teach people that this is um, being deliberate and consistent about identifying and eliminating risk is part of our decision-making process. So we don't come across like we're just uh, making their idea seem like it's not a good one. Uh, it might be a fantastic idea and hopefully they're bringing lots of those to the table. And part of the process when we, when we take on these kinds of ideas is what's the risk reward equation? Is it in balance? The only way to do that is to first identify what could go really well and then what might not go so well and how to get in front of that stuff. And it's really important to teach that, especially to our leadership team. If we want to step away from the business to some degree later on for more than a couple of days or a week or two at a time, we have to trust that our team can make good decisions. You can't make a good decision about something if you do not take the time to weigh the risk versus reward and make sure that's in balance. It's not possible. We have to teach people to do that. They're not going to know. They're not going to know what that balance is. They may assume that if they bring up, up things that may not go well, that we're going to, we're going to uh, accuse them of being negative. They're not going to inherently know this stuff. We have to teach people the process of making decisions in alignment with what we want, if we want to have the freedom to step away from time to time. Um, and we just need to ask questions. You're going to have tons of other ones besides these here. These are some pretty obvious ones. Ask questions like, what could possibly go wrong? Um, is it possible or even likely there are risks that I can't foresee because I don't have experience in this area or don't have experience with this, this kind of project or don't have experience with this kind of service or geographic area or whatever it is? Um, other questions would be, is the risk-reward equation in balance or in alignment with my risk tolerance? Of course, to do that, we have to ask ourselves, what is our definition of a quote-unquote in-balance risk tolerance? Um, what other kinds of things we've tried like this? What went well? What didn't go well? And probably the most critical one, what training will be necessary to make, make this successful? Um, do we have the resources and time to properly train this before we just jump into it? If the answer is no. Then, then I would probably lean towards um, waiting until we have that or just make the time. 
uh, one of the two. Uh, not training, though, is probably one of the most key areas where um, risk is uh, exacerbated. A small risk can turn into a big risk when we are not training, for sure. So um, this is part um, four of our seven-part series, The Seven Deadly Defects. This one we're talking about not assessing uh, and addressing risk effectively. Uh, so thanks for tuning in this week. Um, again, thanks for all you who have taken the time to, to give us a rating and a review. If you know somebody who's a business owner in the service industry who who's ever said something like, I feel like my business owns me, or I feel like I'm just a glorified babysitter, or uh, this is all overwhelming and I don't even know where to start, uh, please send this podcast to them so we can start uh, reaching out to folks like that. Um, so again, that's it for this week. I'm Brian Harding. This is Service Industry Success. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you all next week.